This is the weekly sermon from Church of the Holy Trinity, a Reformed Episcopal parish of the Anglican Church in North America in Houston, Texas. Please join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. for Holy Communion, and visit us on the web at holytrinityrec.org. Enjoy the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. You may be seated. Live as people who are free. This line from the end of the epistle today speaks to the results of the finished work of Jesus Christ as it is applied to the life of the Christian. Now Christian freedom regarding our responsibility to each other is important. As we move closer, as I spoke about a few moments ago, to bringing really two churches together, renewed reminder of our freedom in Jesus Christ is imperative. The call of Christ is freedom from the bondage of sin into his freedom to enjoy his creation in moderation and enjoyment, giving praise and honor to him. There are many examples of worldly ideas of freedom that creep into our own lives as individuals and then into the church where we must be on constant watch and guard. Ultimately, true freedom is given us through the power of the Spirit, Christ's power enabling us to live properly, to minister to one another. This morning, let us focus on the call of all of us to a godly freedom as our lessons outline. Living as free entails a second part of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, or as the King James states, as a cloak of maliciousness. Many scandals in the church derive from abusing Christian freedom. As Christians, we are called to be mindful of our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in terms of maturity. We are not to look down our noses at people that are less mature in our estimation, for that, again, would be a cover-up for evil. Rather, we are to consider all that we do in the name of Jesus Christ and his freedom with the test of whether or not it might cause a fellow believer to stumble. See, the world wants us to act as if I don't care what others think. I'm free as a Christian. But as John Calvin note, noted on this particular passage in First Peter, true liberty then is that which harms or injures no one. As this verse outlines, beyond how it might make a brother or sister stumble, taking Christian freedom in the wrong direction to abuse without self-control and moderation and everything is to use freedom indeed as a cover-up for evil, any evil we decide we want to pursue. It is really as the second epistle to, from Peter outlines in chapter 2, verse 19. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. See, when we use freedom to cover up evil, we are ourselves overcome by evil, and we're no longer free. This third Sunday in our Easter season is an important prompt if you will, of holiness of life through Christian freedom. We just sang it in our hymn this morning for the gospel hymn. 
this reminder of holiness of life. In the midst of these 40 days of celebration, it's important to have reminders such as today's epistle about our propensities as we confront this sinful world. In the center of our 40-day celebration, it's important to note the true nature of freedom and to ask help to avoid those things that enslave us. Celebration is through moderation, enjoyment instead of abuse. With our parishes of St. Francis and Holy Trinity coming together in this Easter season, it's important we come together with a renewed sense of the need of concern of one another and regard to our freedoms. See, we get used to one another as a group, an individual parish, and freedoms for one group might be the cause of stumbling to another group, to Christians coming into our midst. So such is a time to examine ourselves anew for areas of weakness where freedom may be sliding into the direction of a cover-up for evil. I hope it will be helpful to move briefly through other areas that we as God's people are, pr are prone to slip up into cover-ups. As our epistle outlined in verse 11, we must take care that we not slide into the passions of the flesh. In other words, all the vices listed throughout the New Testament are places that the Christian must not go and live within. When freedom in Jesus Christ is abused, people justify satisfying particular passions of the flesh. They may use freedom to cover up the evil or one or two passions of the flesh while maintaining a veneer of righteousness through slamming other sins. For instance, one might hold dearly on to gossip or slander or any other sin you could name, not wanting to give that up. They make up for these cover-ups through being outspoken opponents to some of the more visible sins that we encounter in our culture. But when we cover up one area of passion of the flesh while vehemently condemning others, we cease, as Peter noted in verse 12, to keep our conduct honorable among the Gentiles. The proper model of freedom is a continual emphasis to deal with all the passions of the flesh we have issues with, to pray, to repent, to ask for help where we're needed, to hear that we have been forgiven in Christ, to hear that he has given us the power to move out of these areas through his help. This helps us and actually frees us into deeper relationship with Christ and his church. The more we cover up even one vice, no matter how small we've made it, the deeper into bondage we all fall. Closely related to the passions of the flesh in terms of using our freedom to cover up evil is a refusal to submit to the things that God has called us to submit to. Not only are we called to submit to one another in the church, in Christ's kingdom, we are also to submit to the governing authorities that God has placed over all of us, which in fact means every government that has ever existed, every government we have today. As 1 Peter 2.13 reminds us, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. This submission for the Christian is not optional. Such commands are found not only here in 1 Peter, but throughout the New Testament. We have no room to get away from this command. 
To do so, again, is to use our freedom as a cloak of maliciousness. The Christian is set apart here from the pagan. God is the God of order. For the pagan, all is chaotic, without decency, without order. Another element where Christians abuse freedom is to refuse to heed Peter's admonition at the end of our epistle today to love the brotherhood, to love each other, our fellow believers. Instead, many go by sinful human standards when they deal with each other, to go the route of hatred or despising fellow Christians. Such, again, is a cover-up for evil and nothing more the colic prayer today by refusing to turn to the way of righteousness and refusing to avoid those things that are contrary to the Christian profession. The call of the church, all of us in our lives, is to preach faith in Jesus Christ alone and his work upon us toward a godly freedom that weeds out all our propensities to use our freedom as a cover-up for evil. Yes, sometimes conflict occurs with those too stubborn to give up their little bits of evil. And they leave, or in time, in the patient work of God, they finally submit to Christ and the work of the Spirit. Our work with each other in love is in patience, in the face of hatred. Praying always for repentance, for forgiveness and reconciliation. Those stuck in sinful ideas of freedom refuse to follow our Savior. They have, as we read today in our lessons, no fear of God, for they are always seeking self. They refuse, as we read in the Psalter today, to reject evil, whether in small sins or in large sins in their estimation. This third of verse 16 is rather bleak but needed in understanding true freedom and the constant need for every single one of us to repent, to hear anew that our sins are forgiven in Christ and to go forth to grow in forgiveness, to avoid evil by embracing the righteousness of our Savior. The last third of this verse today ends on an upbeat note, stating that true freedom in Jesus Christ is to live as the servants of Almighty God, to live as his people. Now, those of, this, of the worldly bent will not like this at all, for they think it means that we're not free at all to serve someone else. Yet with the entirety of the New Testament, anything outside of Jesus Christ, whether it is the dirtiest-looking lifestyle we could come up with or the cleanest lifestyle by human standards, is still slavery to sin. As Romans 6.16 reminds us, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. No matter what the sinful world sells regarding freedom, we are either slaves of sin if we reject Jesus Christ or slaves of God in Christ through his righteousness, free to love one another. We, as the beginning of our epistle today, are sojourners. We're exiles in this world, belonging 
to Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven, the church. Yes, we are in this world with a distinct mission and call to call sinners to repentance, to join us in the faith. Yet we are not of this world in terms of slavery to this world. We are the servants of God. The church implies more than the individual, more than the individual family. If we reject the church in favor of the private, the private interpretation, being alone, rejecting the church, we are nothing more than self-proclaimed popes thinking we have more wisdom than the church, than our fellow brothers and sisters. A second Peter chapter 2 verse 20 reminds us, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Servants of God imply a connection, a connection to Jesus Christ, his body, the church. We are all fellow sojourners and exiles in this world in dire need of one another to pray together, to worship together as we worship right now, to commune together as we will commune in a few moments, to grow together, to fellowship together. There is grace in submission to each other in Christ's church. As Ephesians 5.21 reminds us, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If the submission to one another in the, Christ, in the church lacks, then reverence of our Savior lacks. Our primary submission to Christ and his church is as his servants. This exhibits itself through serving Christ and each other with the obedient goal to go into this world to fulfill what Jesus commanded of his great commission in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All flows from this, this simple commandment in terms of our mutual lives in the church. If we choose to go it alone, we disobey this great commission. In our submission to Christ and each other in the church, our passage in 1 Peter speaks also of the necessity to submit to the authorities God has placed above us, the governing authorities, as we quoted earlier. But this does not apply to us as Christians only, though, when the governing authorities command us to do differently, to do things that disobey the word of God, or that command us to stop preaching the gospel and all that's entailed in this great commission. In other words, if the governing authorities we live under command us to stop meeting, to worship Christ, we are impelled by God to continue to meet. Yes, we will meet the consequences just as our ancestors in the faith did, such as Peter and Paul, so many other others in the early church, to suffer under Roman persecution, and so many do today all over the world, simply for meeting. This submission to Christ alone means his church will grow in this power and strength provided by him regardless of what man may do to the body. Submission to the governing authorities implies everything that Jesus taught us and what the rest of the Old New Testament has outlined. The point for the Christian is obedience to God. 
and the spread of the kingdom of God, his church. What is paramount in this submission? It is Jesus Christ, his word through his church. If worldly ways and institutions become more important to us than Jesus Christ and his body, then we are serving the world over our Savior. Love the brotherhood, as our epistle stated this morning, is key, for it implies that we remain in Christ, following him over the ways of this world. This means our goal with each other in the body of Jesus Christ is his love. If we are letting sinful passions get in the way of brotherly love, we're no longer in submission, and we must repent. Our parishes of St. Francis and Holy Trinity will be coming together next week, meaning we are following the mandate to love the brotherhood, to open our doors, our hearts to one another, to those that are weeping, that those that need shelter. As we come together, let us keep in mind through prayer that indeed our freedom in Christ means a service to him. To him, the service to each other. Let us be mindful of our propensity towards covering up evil in the name of freedom and ask God's help to weed us in the areas we need weeding to his glory. Let us truly submit to one another out of love. Let us pray earnestly for the grace together to abstain from the passions of the flesh, to keep our conduct among the Gentiles truly honorable, to fear God, to be led by our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ, to reject evil and to be subject to every human institution. Let us close with these words from our Old Testament reading today in Isaiah 61 as our call as we come together as parishes in the love of Christ. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Amen.